to the book of Colossians. I assure you I feel much better than I sound. This just happened. I was doing great coming down here. So we'll see what the Lord has in store. It is our privilege to be reading, brothers and sisters, the very Word of God. We believe it to be inspired, infallible, and inerrant. It is His Word. Out of respect and reverence for His Word, O Father, excuse me, out of respect and reverence for His Word, please stand for the reading this morning. I'm going to read the paragraph within which verse 16 will be the focus of our attention. So we'll begin in verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, Father, we commit this time to you. May we see our King exalted. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <coughs> We're going to focus our attention this morning upon verse 16. As Paul commands us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, as we understand what Paul is setting forth here, we need to understand, first of all, the context in which this appears, because it's important, it's critical to know the imperative nature of what's being set before us. First of all, the, the theme of the entire book of Colossians is given to us in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, where Paul goes through a list of things, all the way from his presence at creation to the awesomeness of his resurrection, so that he would have preeminence in everything. Okay, So the statement is made, brothers and sisters, in terms of Christ's lordship over all of life. That's the theme of this book. And everything else that Paul says flowing out from it is under that aspect of lordship. The particular section that we're dealing with is in a section that deals with being raised with Christ and seeking things that are above where Christ is seated. And so 
our focus is to be upon heavenly things, not upon the earth. We get caught up in this stuff and we, we, we forget what God wants us to be. And then in the immediate context, the statement is made addressing God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then this list of characteristics is given. So it becomes very personal. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And this is what we're to be. Particularly as we look at this portion of Scripture, we're talking about the influence of Scripture in our lives. Number one, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Now as we begin, realize first of all that the word of Christ was a phrase used in the New Testament that basically referred to the entire body of truth given. In other words, it was a synonym for the entirety of Scripture. So the idea is the role of Scripture within our lives, and when we think about Scripture, a couple of things need to be we need to be reminded of this. Again, if it's not repeated over and over again, guys, we do forget it. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. We're talking about the importance of this that is to dwell within us. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's the word inspired. God sent the Holy Spirit to take possession of these men so that they spoke exactly what God wanted written. It is inspired by God and therefore profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the person of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It's his word given to us for our benefit. In 1 Peter, as Peter talks about our salvation, he reminds us again the importance of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Peter says, Having purified your souls for the obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one, one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Lord, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And Peter adds, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And then in Second Peter within the context of probably one of the greatest miracles anybody could experience. We'll read particularly chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Peter's talking about having been taken up on the mountain with uh, James and John. And there, the three of those disciples are up here, and they see Jesus transfigured. And out of the clouds, the statement, This is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. If you think about an experience that should impact us, I can think of nothing greater. And yet Peter goes on to say, and we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture and the importance of Scripture. And Paul is emphasizing here that Scripture, God's Word in its entirety from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, God's Word is to literally dwell in us. The word dwell comes from the Greek word for house, permanent abode. And it's the picture of letting the Word of God inhabit us as if we were a house and it's a present tense verb in other words it's to be going on all the time it's active voice which means guys we do it Lord doesn't pour it in we actively read it and seek to retain it and to have it so fill every nook and cranny of our lives, no corner is untouched as it dwells in us. And oh, by the way, it's an imperative verb, which means it's what? If Christ is Lord of my heart, if I'm seeking to be heavenly-minded, Focusing upon my Lord in heaven. And if I'm one of his chosen ones, holy and beloved, I'm to be feasting upon that word and digesting it and allowing it to dwell in my body. As John tells us in 1 John, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. It's the picture, brothers and sisters, that scripture is so much a part of our lives that it governs every thought and every deed, every action and reaction. Please understand, and you've heard me say this before, the depth of your relationship with Jesus Christ, yes, it is demonstrated in your actions, but guys, we can choreograph our actions. What happens when something comes into my life that I hadn't planned for? My reactions. Am I so immersed in the Scripture that my reactions even demonstrate that Scripture is, is dwelling in me? 
That's the picture. Scripture so dwells in us that we pay heed to what Scripture says. That we bow the knee to its authority. We don't worship it. It's not an object of worship. It's God's Word, and it's for our benefit. This merely is a vehicle, so to speak. You can write in it, guys. You can underline, you can circle key words, stuff like that. It's the tool that we use to become what God wants us to be. And that's what it means to bow the knee to its authority. If Scripture says something, it's not ours to reason why. From the charge of the light brigade, ours is but to do or die. We assimilate its lessons and we translate it into our daily lives so that it's in our lives that the living nature of this word is demonstrated. It is the only rule of faith and practice. Now, I'm not talking about just an intellectual grasp of it. I'm not talking about countless memory verses that just flow off our lips. I'm talking about our lives changing. I'll never forget as a young Christian talking to a man as I was teaching at a private school in Anniston, Alabama, and this was a guy who was like the security in the evenings and this kind of stuff. And he professed to be faith in Christ. And then talking with him, boy, it's almost every other word that came out of his mouth was foul. In my mind, if Scripture dwelt in our lives, brothers and sisters, that's going to impact the tongue too. And there's a real sense that the things come out that come out of our mouth is part of the demonstration of what's in our hearts. We live under the lordship of the great king. And he calls us to be something different. And the beauty of serving this great king is that we serve him because we love him. Keep in mind, if we love him, by the way, this is the shortest, best memory verse you could ever memorize. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why? Because Scripture is a part of our lives. It dwells in us. It governs all that we do. It guides us in all of my choices, all of my actions, and Lord willing, all my reactions. Remember, it's a command. It's imperative tense. So we need to be spending time in Scripture so that it becomes a part of our lives. If you don't spend time with it, you don't know what's in it. Therefore, the need to have time in the Word where you meditate upon it 
And you need to have that word as the focus of what your worship service is. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world in which it seems like people, even people who claim to be believers, want to be entertained. They want to have an emotional experience as opposed to spending time, which ought to be an emotional experience, as you're investing in the Word of God and you're digesting it and it's becoming a part of you so that it dwells within you. But it's interesting, Paul doesn't stop here. Okay, as you look at your text, the main verb is the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. In other words, not just little dabs, but richly. But you have three participles that uh, describe for us what we're to do with that word. These participles are ing verbs. Notice, Teaching, admonishing, and singing. Hmm. Is this an ad for the choir? We'll see. We'll see. Teaching. In other words, brothers and sisters, our knowledge of Scripture is not only of benefit to us individually, but to whom? To the entire body of believers. Please understand, we don't memorize Scripture and do all these things to just kind of fill up ourselves. Now, it's interesting, there's a great geographical picture in the nation of Israel in terms of this type of concept. You have the Dead Sea. Water flows into the Dead Sea, but it doesn't flow out. So what do you have? You have a picture of just barren land salt content so high within that water you can't even drown in it. Nothing around it is living. But it's full. Water flows in but doesn't flow out. And brothers and sisters, the picture is as the Scripture flows into us, as we dwell in that Scripture, it's not just for the benefit of me or you. It's for the benefit of all those around us. We have opportunity to teach one another, instruct one another. Now, Paul goes on to say as he talks about teaching and admonishment in all wisdom, that little prepositional phrase is connected with both of those terms, which basically gives us the picture that no, it's not, I don't share scripture because I'm smarter than everybody else. No. We share Scripture with one another because we want to be an encouragement to each other. We want to be of assistance to each other. That doesn't mean come across as very proud. Boy, I know all these memory verses and you don't. No. We're in this together. And this is part of the picture of ministering to one another, which is what the church of Jesus Christ is to be doing. Again, don't fall into the trap just because there's a guy up here who is, is called your minister. We all minister to one another. That's what Paul's talking about here. As we grow in our knowledge of Scripture, as Scripture dwells in our lives, we benefit one another. 
We make each other stronger. This is the idea of teaching. We impart principles to one another. We don't come across as being proud or haughty. We're cutting everybody else down because we're so smart. No. It's done humbly. But it's done because as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 as he talks about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Christ first, others second. Self third. But we're here to benefit benefit each other. We're here to strengthen each other. Teaching. All of us can help each other. That's what it means. Secondly, admonishing one another. The Greek word here is the word from which we get neuthetic counseling. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That was a type of counseling that J. Adams, that great hero of the faith, taught when he was at Westminster and sought to establish, sought to establish centers for neuthetic counseling, which is counseling that is based upon Scripture. Neuthetic, because the word, Greek word neutheo means to confront for the purpose of restoring to useful service. It comes from the picture of a mending of nets. What good is a net if it's not going to catch fish because it has so many holes in it? Well, what do you do? Well, this is where neutheo comes into play. They would mend the net to make it suitable for useful service. Here again, this is part of our responsibility as brothers and sisters to keep each other going in the direction that we're supposed to. We admonish one another. What's involved here is exhortation, encouragement, and strengthening and confrontation for the purpose of restoring. And it's the, it's, it's the whole picture, brothers and sisters, that, and we can never forget that in terms of it could be us. Don't think so highly of ourselves that we would never fall. And yet within that context, as Paul says, Scripture dwelling in us, the picture of having such a love for each other that we're willing to go to a brother or a sister and as humbly and as graciously, lest we too are tempted, we seek to restore that brother or sister. Yeah, that's tough. But guys, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. It's not filled with people who are perfect. It's filled with people who are broken. And we're in the process of being restored as God prepares us to spend eternity with Him. And on that journey toward restoration, and boy, it would be nice if it was a straight incline up, wouldn't that be great? Maybe even elevator. Boom. But oh man, it looks more like the stock market. 
here, 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 here. But we're all in it together. That's what the church is to be. And even large churches, in terms of working that kind of personal relationship out, some, some of them have basically the Sunday school becomes that close-knit body where they hold each other accountable. Briarwood uses discipleship groups. Who knows how best to do it? But the local body where you know each other. See? Because guys, we're all in this together. And listen, none of us have arrived yet. And we all need each other in this process. The third participle is interesting. Singing. And Paul says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And the picture here is obviously the word psalms refers to singing the psalms. Hymns make reference to songs of praise about the things the Lord has done. Exodus 15 is a beautiful picture of this. It was a hymn. Remember, the Egyptians who were trying to destroy the nation of Israel were caught in the flood at the Red Sea as God had parted it for the Israelites to go through. When the Egyptians tried to go through, the waters came down on them and destroyed them. And the children of Israel, watching God provide, broke into a beautiful hymn. And that's Exodus 15. Spiritual song seems to refer to songs of praise basically involving experiences within personal lives. So you've got the whole gamut here. But here again, the emphasis is not that we walk into each other's presence and break into a song. What happens when you sing together? I'll never forget at Reformed Seminary when we would have chapel and you had 200, 300 some men singing a mighty fortress is our God. Oh, just sent chills up your spine. As you got ready for the battle. And this is the picture that Paul is giving here in reference to, and and listen, all of us do it, whether you're in the choir or not, all of us have the ability to encourage one another. And so the idea of the singing and the different things, the psalms, the hymns, and the spiritual songs comes about in reference to the encouragement that we're to give to each other and the strength that we receive one another brothers and sisters in today's culture we're called to live biblically 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 6 Paul says for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh by walking in the flesh Hey, we have to live down here. (laughs) This is flesh. 
But remember, we're supposed to be heavenly minded, right? So our focus is here. So why do we live? By the standards of down here. See, though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The picture is we're to be people because we're holy and beloved, remember. Because we live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, remember. Because we're heavenly minded, remember. We are people who who are called to live out the reality of biblical truth here and now. Not just on Sunday. Remember when you go back to Colossians chapter 1, Paul sets the theme of his book when he says Christ is preeminent in all things. And the statements that he makes give reference to his lordship over Monday through Saturday as well as Sunday. Because Christ is Lord, this is what we're to be. That means we're to be a living embodiment of the truth of Scripture as it is lived out before a world that is in rebellion. Paul lived within the flow of history. And within his time, the greatest army in the world was the Roman army. And they were involved in many a battle. And one of their true strengths was that they fought as a unit. In fact, when you think historically, one of their greatest defeats, in fact, if I remember correctly, they lost three legions when the commander allowed them to be led into the forest where they could not form up into units. And the Germans literally picked them off one by one over three days' time. They fought as a unit. And the weapon that they used in this physical war was a short Roman sword. They weren't the first to use the two-edged sword but they were the first that really made it the weapon that conquered the world. That was a physical warfare. Paul in Ephesians 6, telling the Christian to get ready for battle, remember, goes through the whole whole scenario, the belt, breastplate, Sandals, helmet, and as we get ready for the spiritual warfare, darkness versus light, 
kingdom of Satan versus the kingdom of God. Paul uses the example of that short Roman sword. Which he also mentions in the book of Hebrews when he talks about the effectiveness of a weapon that sinks to the very depths of an individual's being. Pick up your sword, which is the Word of God. Immerse yourself in it, brothers and sisters. Know it. Know it not just intellectually, but let it grab your heart and let it change you from inside out that you would become the individual that God wants you to be. And and you want to do it not because you're earning your way to heaven. None of us can earn our way to heaven. We're saved by grace and grace alone. But because of the love that we have for our new master, we want to be what he wants us to be. No scripture. Let it dwell in you richly. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would guide us and direct us as we seek to be what you want us to be. And, O Lord, may your word be that which is the focus of our attention that we would be what you want us to be. Oh, Father, we praise you and we thank you for who you are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.